Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 41. This is the podcast where we take, where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other tidbits I find interesting. My name is Steve Heinrich, the host. This is being recorded on Wednesday, October 31st, 2018, Halloween. Anyway, <laughs> it'll be released the day after, so not as exciting on Thursday. November 1st, 2018. So visit pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links if you want to follow along. And also, I think you can find the show notes in your podcast app as well if it supports that kind of thing. But yeah, you can uh, pixelswim.com if you want to follow me on Twitter or the slowly dying Google+. Plus. Either way, uh, <laughs> just uh, if, you, if you want to leave feedback, you can uh, email me as well at steve at pixelswim.com and lead feedback on any of this. My social networks are right on the show notes page uh, on pixelswim.com. So uh, yeah, I always appreciate any and all feedback that I get. So let's dive into some weekly notes, feedback, and links here. So like I was saying at the beginning of the show, this I'm recording this on Halloween, but it will come out the day after Halloween, November 1st. So I hope everyone had a nice Halloween. It's, uh, one of my favorite holidays is Halloween. <laughs> it's the the low obligation holiday, uh, usually just based around sugar and fun. So uh, and I just love the the feeling of fall and the just the whole autumnal experience. I, I just I love Halloween. And right now it is actually quite nice out for Halloween here in Valparaiso, Indiana. It's about 65 degrees Fahrenheit and cloudy and the trees are all the leaves are all falling and changing color. And it's just it's very uh, if they were going to film a Halloween movie, this would be the perfect weather to do it in. But anyway, in regards to Halloween too, uh, just a few things that I usually end up watching around Halloween Uh, this year. I actually decided to because every year I kind of get that hankering to watch all of the Simpsons Halloween specials or the Treehouse of Horror episodes uh, just because I those are always you know remind me of Halloween big time and they're hilarious and kind of weird and funny and and so yeah this I actually this year I you know I was trying to decide where to get these from and they had all the DVDs at the library but it's not easy to to rip a DVD <laughs> and get specific episodes off and then in a format that you can watch on the TV. So I was actually trying to get the Halloween episodes off of the DVDs from the library. But every time I, I could get an individual episode downloaded onto my computer. But usually what ends up what ends up happening with the MP4 files that I try to create or any time I try to convert is the audio always ends up not synced up at some point you know not too far into the episode and it's just off for the rest of it and it's just i don't know some sort of weird encoding thing that never it always misaligns so i decided that i was going to try and actually purchase these digitally so just those episodes just maybe like seasons i think it started in season two the halloween special so i like two through seven or eight are the ones that I really wanted to watch. So I, I kind of thought about how I wanted to buy those digitally or where really. So I looked at Microsoft store, their digital media store, 
and thought about getting them through there, but there's no good way to watch those on the ro on my on my new Roku or our, our new Roku, which is part of the reason I got the new Roku was to watch my purchased digital content, which I do not have very much of at all. I think I took advantage of some of the free movies that Google was giving away not too long ago or not too long, but just when they they've given away a few movies, I think like Alf was one of them with Will Ferrell and uh, also that Gravity movie with Sandra Bullock, uh, which I still haven't watched, but they had a few promotions where they gave away you know, they gave away a free movie. <laughs> so I took advantage of those Google promotions. And that's pretty much all that's been in my in my Google library. So anyway, so I tried the Microsoft store, there's no good way to watch the Microsoft stuff on the Roku. So Microsoft in their Microsoft store through Windows 10, they do have a way to watch certain titles on on the, on a Roku device. Basically, they use this Movies Anywhere app, which pulls is supposed to pull in a, all of your digital content into one spot, mostly, you know, video, movies and TV and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so Movies Anywhere. So I tried to look into getting the Simpsons Halloween episodes through the Microsoft Store, but those they do not. You can't watch those ones through the Movies Anywhere app which the app is available for uh, mobile devices and it's available on the Roku. So I thought, you know, purchase it through the Microsoft Store and then watch it on the Movies Anywhere app through the Roku. But unfortunately, not all titles on the Microsoft Store are available for that. So I decided to purchase all of the those episodes through the Google Play Movies and TV. So I ended up because uh, it's like $2 an episode or something like that for this for the SD version. I didn't vow go for the HD version, which I think is $3. But either way, there is a Google Play and TV uh, movies and TV app for the Roku, which made it super easy to purchase them and then watch them on the Roku. So yeah, so around Halloween anyway, that kind of got off track there a little bit just talking about stuff that I watch around Halloween. But yeah, those Simpsons episodes are usually ones that I go for. So now I can uh, watch those every year if I want uh, uh, digitally. And then also this year, this last weekend or the weekend recently <laughs> in the past week or so, uh, I watched The Village by M. Night Shyamalan, uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, one of his movies. And I always enjoy watching that one. Uh, it's got good atmosphere to it. I like the story. So uh, yeah, just overall good movie to watch, especially around this time of year. And I'll probably also watch a movie called Paranorman. And that's a, it's like a stop motion animation movie, but it's kind of got a, you know, a bit of a dark feel to it. I like the styling of it, very fall feeling. <laughs> so, and the, it harkens back to a lot of classic horror movies, or I should say it has a lot of nods to classic horror movies. So, it's enjoyable to a little, a little more lighthearted <laughs> to watch around this time of year. Uh, it's just a fun, fun watch. So, uh, yeah, I can recommend all those. But anyway, that's yeah, just kind of my Halloween watching habits. I know I went into a bit of a tirade about buying digital content, content there. But anyway, let's move on to the next thing. And I just wanted to give a shout out and a call for uh donations for dave uh dave rich if you know dave rich he's on the whatever works podcast he's co-hosted with ted salmon for many few years now 
he put out a call for donations for his kitten, uh, Spooky, who they just recently, his family just recently got a, a kitten, a little black kitten, <laughs> the cutest little kitten you can imagine. Anyway, I guess the she's been having some troubles uh, and they've had some vet bills that they are going to need to kind of give the kitten a chance <laughs> at a good at a good life so the vet can kind of figure out what's going on there and uh but i just wanted to put out dave's uh his i think it's his wife's gofundme link to help out there with their with their vet bills which i I can definitely relate to high vet bills it's something we've my wife and i have dealt with in the past and it's not easy it's uh especially on a with a little kitten like that i can't imagine (laughs) the the struggle that they must be having right now. So I'll, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. If you can go and, and donate, that would be awesome. So, and the kitten's name is Spooky. Today is Halloween. I think it's just, <laughs> I think it's meant to be. So uh, any any little bit you can give would be be much appreciated, I'm sure, by the, the rich family. So check out the show notes for that link. All right, so let's go into some feedback from the last episode and let's start with uh, Simon Nobbs on MeWe. <laughs> so I've been posting my episodes on MeWe when I post an episode, much like I post them on Twitter and Facebook, not Facebook, Twitter and Google Plus. I also post started posting them on MeWe as well and uh, got a response from Simon Nobbs saying another great show. Can't believe it's your 40th already. Yeah, crazy that we hit 40 episodes. So thanks, Simon, for reaching out via MeWe. Very my first feedback on there. So which isn't saying much because I've only think I've only posted the last two episodes on there. So anyway, I've also wanted to thank Keith Bartlett for leaving feedback on the episode page, which he did on pixelswim.com. If you go to the the latest podcast, if you want to leave feedback on any episode you can but you can find the latest episode on the homepage. this will be episode 41 so at pixelswim.com so he left feedback in the comments section talking about the 3310 which i had mentioned in the last episode the nokia 3310 which is kind of nokia's re-release of a classic feature phone for sort of modern day or modernized a little bit but he did say there's a few drawbacks to the 3310 in that the keys are silvery and the letters are white. So it's difficult to see what you're what you're pressing in the daytime. So that's yeah, definitely something that you have to to be aware of, especially on a feature phone like that. When you're typing T9, he, he mentions having to type on the T9 keyboard as well. So and yeah, I did on the HTC G1. It's not I don't know if it's something I mentioned when I've talked about it in the past, but the the G1, the the first Android phone had a slide out QWERTY keyboard and you can't the version that I had was a bronze version and the the letters were also white on there and the keys were kind of silvery too. So there's a whole keyboard outside of, you know, just your dial pad. Uh, the whole QWERTY setup was really difficult to see. And it was especially when you were trying to do, say, like a function key for all of the punctuation and other symbols and stuff like that, it was very difficult to see. So I did not like using it. And I I can definitely relate to (laughs) not being able to see the keys, which is kind of, that's a big, that's a big thing, Uh, especially on a phone where you're, where you're forced to use the, the keypad for everything. So 
Uh, thanks to Keith for reaching out about that. And he also, because I had seen Keith's review of the Nokia 8110, which is the, you know, the, the banana phone, the slide out feature phone that Nokia had released as well as kind of a throwback feature phone, uh, modernized feature phone. So he says there's drawbacks to that one, too, because he's had it for a little while. So he's had a chance to use it, what you could call long term. So and he says, really, the probably the main reason he doesn't use it is the, it doesn't have a WhatsApp support, which uh, most of his family uses. So, th- yeah, cannot. <laughs> it's one of the, it's it's crazy how there's it can be just one feature that kind of takes away your, you know, it, it essentially kind of disqualifies it for using it every day. And I can see how the lack of WhatsApp, if that's kind of your family's main way of communication, I can see how that would be a disqualifier. So, and I actually looked at the 8110 as well to have that as kind of a feature phone, but here in the U S I don't know if it was ever released in a U.S. version or not, but they're the the international versions that I saw don't have the LTE bands for T-Mobile on it. So kind of uh, not an option, I guess, for me. But I know the 3310 was officially released in the U.S. So that one I can you can actually get unlocked uh, all over the place here. So although it's starting to kind of go out of rotation in the in the electronics stores over here. So I don't know. I don't know if I'll use a 3310 or not at all. And I think that the Lumia 1020 is probably my best bet as far as uh, detox, which I still haven't done from uh, smartphones. So still, again, on my radar, I just haven't, you know, I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm still <laughs> using my device every day. But either way, thanks, Keith, for reaching out about those Nokia feature phones, those modern, quote unquote, modern ones. So they both have their strengths and that and of course they have their weaknesses especially in today's phone world and kind of how we depend on certain apps and things like that but okay so I'll just move on to a little bit of other feedback both uh, Mike Latori and Stu Miller fed back on the iPhone SE now this is a device that I've been talking about getting for my wife because of the mostly because of the form factor and the fact that she won't really lose any of her her apps and and she'll still be able to use her Google services on it and and Spotify and all that stuff so but in a much smaller form factor than the device she's using now which is the LG Q6 so on Google Plus uh, Stu Miller uh, he he wanted to echo the recommendations of Frank Needhart who reached who has reached out a few times about the SE and kind of pushing, started uh, getting piquing my interest in that device, especially after I started talking about that tiny unihertz atom Android device. And the iPhone SE is seems like a much better form factor. But either way, he Stu wanted to reach out and kind of recommend it as well. He said that he also said that his wife was a longtime Android user, and he convinced her to jump onto iOS because it might uh, better serve her in the way she uses her mobile phone. So I guess she got on with it and that it wasn't really an issue for her to use iOS. So I think that that's going to be the case also with my wife, where she, you know, won't be too difficult, hopefully, for her to use iOS 
as her, you know, main phone. So (laughs) her only phone, (laughs) she doesn't really do multiple phones like I do, but and most of us probably do. But anyway, uh, Stu also says congratulations on the 40th episode. So thank you, Stu, for that. Yeah, 40 episodes again. Crazy. (laughs) Either way, thanks, Stu, for that. And also, like I was saying, Mike Latore reached out on the show notes page in the comment section and said that he also thinks that the iPhone SE would probably be the best choice for my wife and that there's a lot of advantages to it, especially in a small form factor. He says that I, he even mentions that iOS is kind of even better optimized for a smaller form factor because, and he talks about the the back button in Android and that's kind of a staple and a, you know, a UI staple that Android has. And, and of course in iOS there's, you know, they have the, the back control usually within the app itself. So uh, something to get used to, but because the screen is so small, it's not as big a hurdle to get over as it might be on a bigger iPhone these days. So I've st- I've got a lot to learn about the <laughs> about iOS and setting that up. So it'll be an interesting experiment. So I think we're really looking at just getting her that she's been she's on board. All the everybody's feedback. I can't uh, thank you enough for feeding back on the iPhone SE is really been helping me kind of make the case for her using that device or trying it out at the very least. So and also thanks to my case, he said he's he's uh, his son is using a 5S right now, an iPhone 5S and that, you know, if it does this, the SE doesn't work out, he would, you know, potentially get it for his uh, buy it off me for his son. So I appreciate Mike for that. It helps to, you know, kind of make a sort of a fallback plan if needed. And also that because iPhone devices hold their value pretty well, you know, even if Mike wasn't able to, to purchase it, it would probably be easy enough to to sell it on Swappa and not really lose much, if anything at all. So and he also said that I could, <laughs> if I really needed to, with iOS, I could talk to my niece, Azure, which she's been, I had her on the podcast, if you remember, and she uses an iPhone, so she could help me out with iOS, probably, if I needed help. So, and Mike's right, probably right about that. I will definitely keep her in mind if I have a question. But thanks again to Mike and Stu for both feeding back on the iPhone SE. And like I said, that all that feedback has really helped, and I think... In the very near future, I'm going to be purchasing one for her and seeing how she gets on with that. And hopefully she'll love the form factor and it'll all just be seamless. <laughs> Fingers crossed on that. I don't know if that's necessarily always the case or going to be the case, but there's always some hurdles to get over. But I think overall it'll probably work work well. So, And I think it'll be her first phone with a fingerprint scanner on it which is kind of an interesting idea, I think, for her. Because for me, yeah, I've got a fingerprint scanner on mine, but I don't go a ton of places. I'm, you know, I work at home, so, but she's usually out and about all day. And, uh, you know, the, there's a higher, higher chance that she could, you know, accidentally drop her phone somewhere and that somebody could find it. And so hopefully that extra level of security will be good for her. So, and more convenient really is what it is. Okay, so that's all the feedback for this week. I appreciate it as always. If I missed your feedback, which I think I got everybody, and try and try and get everybody's feedback in and respond to it on air and you know, keep the conversation going. So if I missed yours, let me know. But either way, you can leave feedback again on pixelswim.com, social media, 
etc. So Steve at pixelswim.com if you want to email, which will work well as well. Oh, and Keith did send me a couple of YouTube reviews that he did for those uh, Nokia feature phones. But anyway, so we'll move on now. I've got a few links that I want to share this week. The first one is on wordpress.org. The WordPress blog is a post called Introducing 2019. And so if you basically, essentially, this is a post that highlights the new default theme that they created for the next version of Word, which I believe will come in WordPress 5.0, which is the big Gutenberg update. Well, but this will be the default theme, like on a new installation of WordPress. It's they always name them the year, uh, usually not in number form, usually in word form. So it's literally the word 20 and then the word 19. Uh, that's just kind of how they decided to name their their themes. But either way, they come out with usually one every year, hence the name 2019. And uh, just this uh, link to this post in the show notes, but you can essentially go over it and see kind of the the design and the layout. And basically, because they're making this big switch to Gutenberg, which is a new way to edit in WordPress, edit and build pages, they have created a theme that kind of works with that really well. So they've already they've always made good default themes in WordPress. I've always really liked the themes that they've come out with. They're not some more than others. And actually on pixelswim.com, I believe I use the 2015 theme. So getting a little out of date, I suppose, but I think it's a really great theme. It, it you know, it serves a, a purpose, a good purpose. So that's what most of these do. And you generally their themes are based around kind of blogs because WordPress was always meant to be that way. But they I think they are kind of spanning out more and more with these default themes and making them more for more versatile and for different types of websites, which of course WordPress is more than capable of these days. So it uh, looks really nice. It looks like a really great, I mean, usually they try and showcase kind of from what I could see, they kind of showcase the trends in web design and this 2019 theme isn't really, you know, it, it definitely does that you know, text on top of image on monochrome images and stuff like that is kind of what they're showcasing here. And all of the the blocks that you can include in Gutenberg, you know, kind of showcasing what you can do with those, which I think is really hopefully going to help them <laughs> pushing the case for Gutenberg. So yeah, check that out in the show notes. It's a uh, looks really nice. And honestly, it you know, it could be a really useful theme if you're just getting started with WordPress and I probably wait until Gutenberg is officially released as the default editor in WordPress but kudos to them for doing always doing a good job on these default themes and they, a lot of them are very useful for people right out of the box which I think is the idea but anyway check that out in the show notes okay so the next link is actually a video that i want to share the the video on youtube entitled the vfx artist reveals the true scale of the universe <laughs> so visual effects artists and so uh, this i've seen videos similar to this in the past if you've seen a video where someone is trying to kind of help you comprehend the size of things in the universe 
and on a, a certain scale. Um, I'm always interested to see those because the mammoth size, sometimes it's it's probably one of the harder things to comprehend in our puny little human brains. <laughs> so he tries to take it to this uh, corridor crew is the channel that this is on. And they he tries to break the, the sort of, I guess, host of the video, <laughs> whatever you want to call him, tries to do something a little different with the scaling of things in the universe and he goes it's just an interesting watch if you're into kind of space science and the 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 mammoth size of the universe and and that kind of thing it's i think it's worth a watch it's it's always uh kind of piqued my fascination with these sort of things and the incompre incomprehensible size of the universe and and kind of how you fit into it so that it starts off with the earth uh basically the earth is the size of a tennis ball in the video so they've shrunk it down into the ratio of one to 190 million millionth of a size of earth so essentially a tennis ball and then they just expand out from there and they use some you know interesting visuals to kind of help you comprehend the difference in size between the earth and and these other sort of stars and and different things in the universe so it's worth a watch i think if you're interested in that kind of stuff like i said i know i am space science has always been kind of fascinating to me not necessarily on a mathematical <laughs> standpoint but in a concept and theory sort of standpoint that's I, i'm always interested to see what they can come up with to help my my little brain <laughs> understand certain things so check that link out in the show notes to a youtube video it's only about six and a half minutes long so it's you know fairly condensed for the subject matter and yeah interesting all right so the last link that i want to share is uh, i found on medium <laughs> of course a lot of people post on medium and this the title of this post on here by Fred Shoker, who's a graphics and publishing professional. He posted an article or a, po a blog post, whatever you want to call it on a medium. You know, it's called, you know, your web page sucks <laughs> when it costs $7 million to read. So yeah, uh, needless to say, the headline grabbed me <laughs> very easily. Uh, I just curious as to what the heck he meant by that. So uh, if you want to go through and read the post, it makes a little more sense than probably I'm about to explain. But basically, talks about the amount of time and the amount of code in certain web pages to load all of the code in, say, like an overloaded web page. And he uses CNET, the, the CNET website, as an example. And he talks about all of the lines of code that need to load in order to kind of show just only a small amount of content you know, because of all the JavaScript and tracking scripts and stuff like that, stuff that I've kind of talked about in the past, but basically talks about super heavy web pages. And I guess CNET is a big offender of that. So he talks about all of the wait time that you have to do because CNET gets about 50, 58 million unique visitors over 30 days that all the load time kind of adds up to 29 million, about 29 million minutes which equals 486,000 hours ish and the average wage at $15 an hour is 7,300,000 dollars 
basically that we are losing waiting for these pages to load ungodly amounts of scripts. So it's kind of a fu- funny read, I guess, to go through. And obviously the title's a little bit intriguing and meant to be not super serious, but also kind of shedding light on the this problem of overloading the code into web pages for all of these tracking scripts, etc. But I won't go too much more into it than that. You can check out the show note in show notes for the link to that medium post and kind of see more in depth what he's talking about. And there's also a few links at the bottom of that post. And apparently this is a series he does called, you know, your web page sucks dot dot dot. And then there's a few other articles called if it attacks the reader and never stops loading, if it crushes your visitor with cookies if it's like this one. <laughs> so the interesting, other interesting posts that you can go over there. But again, check out the show notes for that. Okay, so those are all the links that I wanted to go over and feedback. I appreciate all of the feedback again. There are There is a main topic that I kind of want to go over because I've been, you know, I've been trying to find all sorts of solutions for getting away from mainly Google and third-party services like that and it's all been kind of getting jumbled up in my head (laughs) and and I and I kind of decided that I needed to figure out kind of what's my plan what do I plan on you know there's all these services out there to try and and stuff like that and I've gone over a bunch of them you know I've tried a bunch of them like Nextcloud I I tried my Google free Android experiments and the you know going which involved the the e foundation operating system which was kind of basically everything that i was trying with lineage os and the f droid store and all the open source android apps and stuff like that and i talked last week about the helm personal server to take back you know your email and calendars and contacts and stuff like that to get move those out of the hands of google essentially any of the free services like Google that are basically just, you know, scavenging all of your data (laughs) and using it for what God knows what advertising, right? I mean, that's their big thing. That's Google's big thing. So I'm really trying to figure out kind of what I'm calling like a data roadmap. And it's basically just a plan for what am I going to do, you know, And I think for right now, I'm not going to do any sort of like personal server thing. And I'm not talking about like shared hosting like I was doing with Nextcloud, but I'm talking about like a physical box in my house, you know, that connects to my Internet. And it's how I access all of my my data, my email and stuff like that. But maybe down the line, I'll look into that sort of thing because it's not, you know, it's not the most practical solution right now, cost wise and knowledge wise, you know, I don't have the time to sit down and figure all of that out and switch over to it. So, you know, there's certain categories of things that I'm trying that I want to figure out solutions for. And kind of right now, I feel like I am going to be sticking with Google's services. And I know it kind of flies in the face of everything I've been saying. But as of right now, it just makes the most sense because my wife is highly integrated into those Google services. And she's actually back. She's been back in school and is almost done right now. And she has been using all of the 
the Google stuff, the Gmail, the, you know, Google Docs and, and all that stuff. She uses it for school. And, you know, I, there's no way that I could ask her to go away from that. She has to use those things right now in order to kind of work and, and get things done. So and of course, I'm already on all that stuff. So to communicate, it's so much easier right now to use all Google ser- Google services like Hangouts and and Gmail and, and Google Docs and and Google Drive, you know, sharing stuff across Google Drive and 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 everything. We have it all set up and running. So for right now. And, and kind of into, you know, when she gets done with school, which is this coming May, then I'll really look at kind of switching everything, you know, to something else because it won't matter as much because she won't be needing to rely on Google services so much. But yeah, so for now, Google, I'm going to stick with Google. I know I, I don't really don't want to, you know, because of all of the data stuff, but I'm already integrated into it. So you know, it would I, to integrate out of it when I kind of still need it, when it's the easiest thing to do to, to stay in communication is doesn't make sense. So but in the future, I am kind of looking at I started looking closely, more closely at Microsoft and their offerings, because right now I have the Office 365 subscription. And so with that comes a terabyte of OneDrive storage and uh, Outlook.com premium uh, email. And so basically, you know, the ad free email and stuff like that. I have considered, you know, because I am paying there and I just I think that even though they are a third party service, Microsoft, I think I feel slightly more secure kind of over in that ecosystem and that potentially, you know, in the future, I don't mind paying, you know, that's that's the one thing about Google and kind of the conversation that I've heard lately around Google is that I wish there was a way that we could you could pay, like say you could pay for Gmail and not have any of the data mining or the data tracking and and stuff like that, that they're doing, you know, with all of their free services with Google Photos and and all of that stuff. I wish there was a way to pay out of that and still use the service. It seems to me, and and please someone correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that if you pay into the Microsoft ecosystem by getting an Office 365 subscription and having the the web storage and all of the Office apps and the Outlook.com premium subscription, that you're a little bit more... There's a little less chance that they're taking all of that, that data for something. I don't know how to put it exactly. Like it's it's not as intrusive as Google. And I could be totally wrong on that. And I could I know that Windows 10, Microsoft and Windows 10 is kind of a, I guess, a tracking nightmare. I don't know exactly why. All I've seen is people say, you know, oh, my man, Google or Windows 10 is just a you know, it's like there's a reason that it's free. And I've and I've said it many times on the podcast that if the product is free, then you are the product and your data is the product. So there's, of course, that concern with Windows 10. But I wonder if that concern is the same with Microsoft's outlooks, you know, their subscription stuff, if you have to worry about the same kind of thing. And I'm sure that you do. I just don't know what the difference is between Google and Microsoft when it comes to when it comes to Google's free services versus Microsoft's paid services. I don't know what the if there's any more security or data or data privacy 
if you're on the paid services for Microsoft. Anybody knows, I had trouble finding kind of an answer to that because I think that here's the thing is that I'm willing to pay yearly to have those services and not have the the privacy concerns, you know, that the the data all the data concerns, you know, I want to take, I don't necessarily (laughs) have to have my data, you know, stored on a a disconnected hard drive, you know, in my, in a fire safe somewhere, you know, I, I don't mind using the, the, the cloud services if the data and the privacy stuff is not going to be a concern. And I don't know how much of a concern it is within that Microsoft ecosystem in the paid subscription version of it. So, which is also part of why I started looking at FastMail. If you go to fastmail.com, they offer like a email calendar and contacts uh, with, you know, it's essentially you pay for the service and they don't, you know, they don't provide, they don't use it to, to push ads at you. They, you know, it's basically yours. They just offer basically the hosting and the, and the features of it. So I would be willing to pay per year to have those services you know, kind of hosted and and not have to worry about maintaining a server or anything like that. Like even Nextcloud, I think, is a bit more than I really want to do, especially right now. You know, maybe in the future, it would be something I'd look into. But right now, I don't mind, you know, paying a third party service that is not taking my data or, you know, not invading my privacy for means that I don't want them to, you know. Uh, or just at all, you know. So yeah, Fastmail has looked interesting to that for that. So, you know, I, I I wish I hope Microsoft is that way. I'm gonna have to continue to research into it. If anybody has any feedback on whether or not what you know whether or not the the privacy issues are the same with Microsoft when you're in the paid subscription service, uh, please let me know because I'd be highly curious. But yeah, so, you know, I'm still kind of trying to lay out this roadmap. And if Microsoft can work in that capacity, it would be, you know, something I would be more than willing to pay a yearly subscription to have that and not have to worry about anything else. But I I do kind of think that Microsoft probably isn't the best option. Obviously, it isn't. But if it's a good option, you know, if there if it is better than what Google is doing, then it is, you know, all I hope <laughs> I hope it is. But yeah, if, if you know of any articles or anything that kind of explains what Microsoft, you know, does with all of the the data in the subscription service, or if it's purely they just, you know, because you are paying into it, that they literally just you are, you're not the product, the product is actually what the services you're using, which is really kind of the way that I I think I've ultimately come to the conclusion that that's what I want. I don't want to be the product. I want to use a product and I want all of the the cash, you know, that I'm sending to these companies to be used to improve the product and not to just harvest my data. But obviously that's you know, maybe that's a pipe dream, especially mentioning the word Microsoft. But we'll see. Uh, I'm going to keep moving forward on all of that. But hopefully I'll have a clearer picture especially researching more into these services that kind of tout that they are, you know, they they kind of close the gaps in the privacy concerns. 
And like I'm, <laughs> I know I keep saying about it, like I said, I hope that Microsoft can be a solution for that. But at the end of the day, I know that really taking to really take your data back into your own hands, you really have to do sort of a self-hosted your own hardware type of thing. And, you know, that's why that Helm personal server that I talked about was such a, you know, it was appealing, even though it still relied on a subscription service. So that's not exactly it, you know. So I think that it's very difficult to actually take your data away from all third parties. And so I don't, like I said, I, I, I know I've said it about 10 times now, but I don't mind paying for those services if I know that I'm not the product kind of a thing. And I'm, okay, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> and actually, that's actually my biggest point for this week was just kind of talking about how I'm trying to figure out a data roadmap. And hopefully it can come together in my head a little bit more because I think ultimately I was just getting a little bit not necessarily overwhelmed, but just let's go with discombobulated <laughs> with all of the options out there. And I kind of just want to find something and find the solution that I can use and not have to think about too much. But if you have any other if you, that's not to say I don't want any other suggestions for things to kind of that, you know, to help you take back your your stuff or move away from Google you know, that kind of thing. I'm always open to anybody's thoughts on that. And if you've taken any steps towards that, I'm always happy to hear those. And I would love to share them with everybody else, too. So if you have any feedback on that or any other experience with that, just, uh, yeah, let me know about that. Anyway, let's wrap up this show for this week. Uh, again, I hope you had a good Halloween. <laughs> you can visit pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and for all of this, my social links. If you want to leave feedback, that'd be great. I know I've said that about a thousand times, but I love the feedback. And thank you for tuning in to episode 41 of the Pixel Swim podcast. I'm always greatly, greatly appreciate it. 41. Crazy. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to say that every episode from here on out because I can't believe I've made it to this many. But and again, just to mention it at the end here, if you uh, want to chip in a little bit for uh, to the GoFundMe for Dave Rich's thing, again, that's in the show notes, the link to that GoFundMe. And I'm out greatly appreciated there. So yeah, anyway, have a great afternoon or Midsummer's Dream or Midsummer's Nightmare, considering it's Halloween. Anyway, have a great, have a great night or morning or whatever time it is when you're listening to this. So thanks again, and Godspeed. <laughs>